turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor, Okogi! Welcome to episode number 78 of the ACC Basketball Report. Uh, coming at you on a Sunday morning, I have special guest with me this morning, Brian Ralph. Brian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, like I said before, I appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday morning, and uh, we'll uh, run down through some ACC stuff, and then I'll get you out of here. Let's do it. So... I guess as we before we get started, uh, you know some surprising I think situations. Now that we're almost two weeks into the season, uh, going around the nation, I think some teams are surprised in a in a good way. Uh, when I say that, I would think Oregon would be the team that sticks out the most. Uh, three top one twenty five wins according to Ken Palm already. Nebraska certainly disappointed out of the gate. What uh, what are you seeing around the country that maybe taking you by a little bit by surprise? Yeah, I think Oregon's one team to watch in particular. Uh, I, I wrote in a, a piece for BustingBrackets.com that actually went up this morning. Uh, they have, I think they have a legitimate case to be a top-five team in the country. Yeah. And, you know, we, we thought they'd be a good team coming into the year, but I don't think anybody thought that they would be this good, especially this quickly. And they're going to add uh, another five-star center in Dante uh, coming in mid-December, so that's even going to help them even more. Uh, I think they're a legitimate Final Four team at this point in the season, especially considering the amount of um, flaws we've seen with some of the top teams in the country. And I think speaking of that, uh, the team that's disappointed me the most is, is Florida. I mean, surprisingly yeah. in a negative way. The way their offense has looked has been absolutely putrid. So I guess when it comes to Florida, um, they dropped that game at home to FSU. Um, looked very bad on offense. Kerry Blackshear's yet to really get it rolling. Um, Noah Locke, not not great so far, I think, when you're talking about what we anticipated from him as a sophomore. When it comes to Florida State, which which game do you think speaks more loudly? A loss at Pitt, and then they struggled uh, again yesterday or, or the day before with uh, Western Carolina, or, or a win over then the sixth-ranked team in the country in Florida? Well, the good news for Florida State is that everybody's having these kind of ups and downs, it seems, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's early, and I know they're replacing Captain Gelly and Man. They're two kind of best players or steadying hands, so to speak, from last year. So they're, they're breaking in some new pieces and bigger roles. Um, and whenever that's the case, I, I like to, especially early in the season, like to look at a team's upside more than a team's downside because there's going to be – bumps in the road as they kind of get to where they're going to be in January and February. So I think that Florida win, despite Florida's struggles, uh, tells us more about what this team can be. I look at the game against Pitt, um, in particular, they didn't shoot the ball well at all that game. Right. Uh, and the West Carolina game as just sort of growing pains. And the Florida game, obviously, taking advantage of a Florida team that's going through some major growing pains of their own. Uh, but being able to beat a team that's that talented and the way they did, I think she gives Seminoles fans a lot of hope for what this team, again, could be down the road in January and February. Any, um, you know, I, I spoke in the preseason about MJ Walker. He needs to take a step forward for this team to be successful this year. He had 18 points, I believe, in the Western Carolina game. Is, is that, do you think he's taken that step, or is that, are, are you more of a believer in Trent Forrest and Devin Vassell than you are in, in MJ Walker kind of leading this team? I'm more of a believer in Forrest, but Walker is sort of that wild card that can take them to the next level and mm-hmm. potentially make them that fourth team 
in the ACC. It's so early, and, and I like what I've seen from him in spurts. It's just now being able to do that consistently against good teams. Yeah, and, and again, I, we won't we won't we won't see that for a while, right? Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, not. I mean, we got a, a little bit of a tease on opening night, which it wasn't something that I was really behind because uh, some teams were mm-hmm. dinged up and some some players weren't available. But we got a little tease early in the season, and now we're back to these these buy games that. You know, we, we're not going to see a whole lot till we get into Feast Week and, and things like that for the, over the next couple of weeks. Um, Duke, I, I had question marks about their makeup. I believe you did as well. Uh, coming into the season, Gasha Stanley has been great. Matthew Hurt, not so much. Vernon Carey, kind of. I, I remembered him being bigger in high school. He's lost about 15, 20 pounds. He's looking super athletic while still, you know, stout on the on the glass. Uh, Trey Jones has been, in my opinion, brilliant so far this season, uh, despite Duke's lack of shooting, which they got a little bit better in their, their most recent game. Are, are they a true mm-hmm. title contender at this point for you? I think they are, but I think that's because of everybody else in the country more so than Duke themselves. Right. Uh, because everybody kind of has, has struggled to this point, at least, right? You look for at least one thing that a group does really, really well. And Duke's defense, despite their perimeter shooting, their defense is already one of the best in the country. It has the ability to be truly elite. Uh, with Trey Jones obviously leading that charge, and I think having Moore and Stanley on the wing, um, both of them are uh, potential lockdown defenders when they kind of set their mind to it, and having Carey on the inside obviously helps a lot as well. But their potential to be truly great on that end, I think, can carry them along with their athleticism and ability to get baskets in transition, I think could be enough for them. There are obvious weaknesses with the perimeter shooting. Uh, I don't think you can count on Trey Jones scoring 30 points a night um, like he did to kind of save them against Georgia State, you know. But there's enough there that can complement how good that defense is going to be to carry them. And again, uh, you look around the country, who else do you look at and say they have everything that you want? Right, I mean, you could look at Louisville, but Louisville hasn't necessarily been been tested yet. Right. Um, so I think Duke, because of how good their defense is, they have to be in that conversation. I, uh, you know, right now you say we talk about Duke's defense, and like you said, Louisville really hasn't played anybody outside of Miami on that first night, and they they kind of boat raced them that thirteen point differential, not really indicative of how that game really went. Right now. Yeah. Um, Louisville, number five in the country in defense, number two in the country in offense, according to Ken Palm. They're about to get healthy in the next couple weeks with David Johnson and Malik Williams, hopefully coming back in, I would say, early to mid-December. I ranked them number one in the country this past week. Is is that is that something you would agree with? Because I, I I can't remember a hundred percent, but you were not a you know you were not a big Louisville fan coming into the season. Is that correct? I was I was okay on them. I think I had them six okay. in the preseason. Um, you know, I, I think they're definitely in that top tier of teams, but uh, I get, there's talent in, enough to be there, but it's just not proven. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know if at this point in the season they've proven it. At the same time, you know, we, we I, I say I want them to play somebody, but they've handled their business. They haven't had an Evansville game. Right. They haven't had a where they've looked bad. You know, so kind of by default, they're they're moving up the rankings, and that's no fault of Louisville's, obviously. But, again, I, if we're going off the Miami game, they handled their business, but I, I think the jury's still on how good Miami is as well, mm-hmm. particularly early on in the season. 
So I, I have no problem with them being number one. I, I think I'd have them number two this week behind Duke for me personally. Yep. But the case could certainly be made based on what we've seen for them so far that they should be number one. Yeah, we're not going to learn anything new over the next week or so with uh, NC Central today and then USC Upstate uh, happening later on this week. So we hope we hope we don't learn. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, that's always a possibility. Um, speaking of, I guess you know we all know about Cole Anthony. He's been fantastic so far this season. Um, UNC is now, I believe, ranked inside the top five. We got three ACC teams inside the top five. I guess my concern when it comes to Carolina is Anthony and Brooks and surprisingly Justin Pierce have been really good for for the Tar Heels. Uh, Leaky Black, not great from the field. Brandon Robinson yet to take the court. Sterling Manley still having knee issues is yet to take the court. Um, Christian Keeling has not shot the ball very well at all in, in the first three games anyway. So are the Tar Heels a title contender if Keeling... And Robinson, if those guys can't get it together, are they are they going to maintain this level of, of excellence that they've shown through three games? UNC is a tough one for me because as great as Cole Anthony is, and I think he's, yeah, regardless of being a freshman, one of the top three or top five players in the country, and I don't think you can necessarily question it no. to this point in the season. He's been great, and he's capable of carrying them. Everybody else, though, I have... I have question marks about. I, Pierce and Brooks have been good, and they've been getting some contributions for the people uh, at, at various times throughout the, these past couple games. But at the same time, that's been somewhat inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And I was one coming in the season who didn't know if you could rely on, on those pieces. And they haven't played in a game or in a set of games yet, again, because it's early, uh, where they've had to really step up. And I haven't seen anything that makes me that that has instilled a lot more confidence in them. Uh, you go back to the Notre Dame game, probably the toughest game they've played so far. Yep. Uh, Notre Dame, I know you're really high on. Eh, if Cole only scored twenty instead of the what thirty four he went for, uh, they lose that game. And that's still a good game from Cole Anthony. But if he isn't otherworldly, they lose. And we're having a different conversation about UNC right now. They're good enough, and I think their pieces are, are good enough. They have enough size to be a, a second weekend type team, mm-hmm. maybe a top 10, top 15 team in the country. I'm still not willing to put them in the title contender category yet until I see all those other pieces play at a high level consistently. As you mentioned, with Pierce and Keeling, guys who transferred in from mid major programs, they haven't seen the ACC level of competition. A power conference competition on a day-in, day-out basis yet. And to this point in the season, that's still the case. Uh, Villanova last year comes to mind as a team that yep. was relying a lot on some grad transfers, Joe Cremo, uh, coming in from Albany um, to, to play a major role. And that sort of blew up in their face because he ended up playing like somebody from Albany, right? <laughs> somebody that, you, that you'd want to play for Villanova. Uh, and as good as Pierce has been, yeah, and Keeling has struggled, as you mentioned, I, I, I'm i not yet sold on both of their abilities to produce a level that UNC is going to need them to, particularly them them to, on a nightly basis. Again, not that they can't, they just haven't seen it yet. So looking at Carolina's schedule, their upcoming schedule, Wednesday they have home game against Elon, which is a bye game they pretty much play every year at this point. Then they go on a stretch of Alabama, 
Uh, let's see, Alabama on a neutral floor, Ohio State at home, Virginia in Charlottesville, Wofford at home, Gonzaga in Spokane, and UCLA on a neutral core. I think we're going to find out a lot about the Tire Heels over the next two weeks. Yeah, I, I think after that stretch, they'll either be uh, the number one team in the country, mm-hmm. and, or at least that conversation, or they'll be back right around that 15 range. Yeah. Um, Coming into the season, my thoughts on Virginia, widely known. I you know, I wasn't down on them as much as I just had questions about their offense. I think we all knew that they were going to be a legit defensive team, um, a team that, you know, just like typically you know, they are, they are currently number one in defensive efficiency in Ken Palm through three games. Uh, you know, held Syracuse to 34 points, held James Madison to 34 points, which I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> through through three games, um, you know they, their defenses look spectacular. They they've gone over sixty in the last two games. I, I'm still not completely sold. Their their field goal percentage on the season is not good. They they just I think their season high through three games is five made triples, which a lot of their success in years past have been relatable to them being deadly on the perimeter. What do you see mm-hmm. when you watch this Virginia team? Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as you, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. They remind me a lot of the Virginia team from three years ago. With Parentis, When yes. Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy were freshmen. Yep. Do you get those, those kind of vibes? Yeah, I, I think, but but the only thing that's different, I guess, is was Anthony Gill on that team? I, I, I can't remember. But um, I know that Parentis was so clutch that season. I just remember him making seemingly big shot after big shot from behind the arc at the top of the key. Maybe that only happened once, but I, it seems to stick out in my mind. And that team still went 23-11, and 11, and I believe made the second round of the tournament. They made the tournament out of that. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, these guys are elite defensively. Diakite is, I think, maybe the defensive player of the year. I think he's probably the favorite. Um I just, I wonder, you know, Morcel started out pretty slow. I'm not sure exactly what he did yesterday. But um, I, I just, I, I'm still not sold on the offense. Uh, you know, putting up 48 points against Syracuse. Granted, Syracuse is a great defensive team. But you've really got to figure it out before we get to ACC play or else you're going to take some losses. I think this team is still a tournament team, absolutely. But I think it might be a, a first weekend tournament team. Yeah, the narrative around Virginia has changed, and rightfully so, because of the national championship that they won. Mm-hmm. But I think that that old narrative about them being really good defensively and not good enough offensively applies to this team perfectly. And I've, I've sort of viewed the past maybe decade of the Tony Bennett era uh, as being somewhat uh, uh, in, a, in a cycle with Virginia, where they'll get a, a talented group in, and they'll struggle that freshman year. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can go back to the London Prentez, Malcolm Brogdon, Justin Anderson group, where they kind of struggled and then went on a, a two-year stretch where they made the second weekend. And if they, Justin Anderson didn't get hurt, maybe he would have gone to the final four, and we wouldn't have had that narrative at all about Virginia. Um, but did that, and then they graduated, and Kyle Guy, Kyle Jerome, John Hunter, those guys came in. They had one year where it was kind of a setback and a rebuilding time before they won this past two-year stretch where they won – 30-plus games every year, ACC championships, um, and then a national title, obviously. I think we're kind of hitting the reset button on that cycle again this year with the guys coming in. Uh, Casey Morsell in particular, I think, is someone who's going to be a superstar for them. Me too. Next year, yep. two years from now. But there's going to be uh, those growing pains this year as they try to find 
some of an offense that made last year seem different with Jerome and Guy and Hunter. They don't have those explosive playmakers this year. And I think they'll come and they'll develop in the next year or two. But this year is going to be one of those years where they win games because of their defense and have a very, very hard ceiling because of how limited that offense is going to be. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, Wolden Tensai was a prolific three-point shooter at the Juco level, hasn't really shown it. You know, I mean, there is a, an adjustment period that's going to be needed for a kid like that. Same with Morcel. I mean, a top 60 kid, you don't just step into Virginia's system and, and produce right away. We saw that with Guy, who wasn't very right. good until late in his freshman year. Same thing with Malcolm Brogdon, who wasn't great as a freshman. Justin Anderson, same way. I tried to tried to relay that message you know, in the preseason, but, you know, people, like you said, they've got the national championship. Tony Bennett's a great coach. You cannot argue with that. But the difference between even the JUCO level and the high school level to the ACC is insane. And, you know, we're going to find out because, again, the, you know, the schedule is starting to ramp up. We got Vermont on Tuesday. You got Purdue on the 4th of December. And then you got North Carolina right after that. So that's three tough games, especially when you have to go to West Lafayette. We're going to find out what Virginia's made of in the next couple of weeks as well. Yeah, well, I think we'll be fine against Purdue, but that's, a, that's another topic for another day. I, I, going back to Kyle Guy, I think people forget about him that the most notable thing about his freshman season was the man bump. Yeah. And not his, yeah. Actual, not his actual play on the court. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's funny because um, Isaiah Wilkins, who was ACC Defensive Player of the Year a couple of years ago, and I've said this multiple times on this podcast, but. He he admitted the year that he won Defensive Player of the Year, which was his senior year, that he didn't fully understand how to play in the pack line defense until he was a senior. So, I mean, it, it takes time to figure out what Tony Bennett is actually trying to get done there. Um, do you see Virginia as an Elite Eight team or anything like that? Or do you see them more as a first weekend team? What do you think their ceiling is? No, I, I think their ceiling is a win the opening round, losing the second round mm-hmm. kind of team. Uh, I, I, the offense just isn't there. Uh, again, uh, now, they could make the Sweet 16 if they end up getting a high seed and maybe face a, a, a lower seed that pull off an upset in the first round and the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year is going to be interesting for them because I think they'll probably end up with a better record and a higher seed than they deserve. Mm-hmm. Because, again, in a year where there are so many question marks with teams and so many flaws among top teams, Having one thing that you can rely on to be truly elite, like their defense, is going to carry them a lot further than it would have in other years, right? Yes, I absolutely so, agree. Yep. Yeah, I, I think in the ACC, you still look at them as being a step behind UNC, Duke, Louisville. But, again, depending on who they face to get matched up with in the tournament, that defense could carry them to a Sweet 16. And I think if you're a Virginia fan, you should look at that as being a really successful season if they could make that second weekend. Yeah, I view them more as a round of 32 team because of the, those offensive holes. Uh, but if their defense is going to play like this all year long, uh, it sets up well for them to have a little bit more success than maybe we expect. Yeah, and, they, and they're going to lose Diakite after this season, but they're set up next year with one of the best recruiting classes in, you know, in the entire ACC coming in. You're going to get Huffback, you're going to get Clark back, Morsell, Wolden Tensai, all these guys are going to have a year under their belt. I think, you know, if you get to a round of 32 this year and then a sweet 16 appearance, uh, you know, possibly this year, that that is a phenomenal precursor to what you have the potential to do next year. Yeah. If you, if you're Duke, UNC Louisville, uh, 
win your conference championship this year because it's going to go back to Virginia, I think, the next year or two after this. I agree. Um, last weekend, uh, you guys on the Bustin Brackets podcast had uh, our editor on, uh, which is Tristan Freeman at the, as the Bustin Brackets site expert. Tristan uh, <laughs> threw a little shade at me for the uh, the love that I had coming into the season for, for Notre Dame, um, which got a, a quick agree from you. You know, me and Tristan kind of <laughs> playfully go back and forth on Notre Dame and Pitt. Um, at the moment, both teams, you know, despite, you know, um, Notre Dame's 3-1 and one record at the moment, you know, Pitt's 2-2. Mm-hmm. Two and two. I don't think either team has really, has really been a, a world beater. Do you think either of these teams right now are at-large contenders? I think one of them will find their way onto the bubble. Uh, because I, I expect it to be a weak bubble year, and there's going to be wins to be had mm-hmm. in conference play. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them are trying to grow, right? I mean, both I think both of them won three ACC games last year, right? And both are in line for improvements, and they're going to be natural improvements just from experience and natural progression. Uh, both rosters are going to experience. I, I think we're seeing right now is the difficulty in making a leap from anything more than natural progression mm-hmm. from, I think, both teams. They're learning how to play at a higher level that's expected of them. And there's, again, there's hiccups early in the season with everybody, uh, more so this year than there has been, but we won't really know, I think, the full upside of these teams uh, until January. Uh, just, you know, it's going to take them a month and a half to kind of get reacclimated and see if they can play execute at that high level that we expect them to. And that's that's one of the reasons why they didn't play well last year. The execution, uh, particularly in this case, uh, was poor and inconsistent. And with everybody back, you expect that to increase, but you kind of have to build good habits in game situations. And that takes a little bit of time. Uh, again, I think we could see both of them finish around the seven, eight, nine spots in the ACC, because uh, I, don't, I don't think the ACC is super deep this year. And those two teams have talent. And again, there, there's wins to be had. And being in that range in the ACC will always put you in the bubble conversation, uh, even in a down year. But I, I had thought Pitt might challenge for an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, I'm leaning a little away from that now, um, just with what I've seen so far. I think they'll both come a long-winded answer. But I think they'll both be on the bubble, fall uh, on the wrong side of it, and make the NIT. Yeah, I, I was also as the season got closer, I was I was more willing to put Pitt in that seven eight range in the ACC. Just, I mean, that backcourt on paper is is phenomenal when you look at you know what you expect for a progression from a freshman to a sophomore, as well as the numbers yeah. that, that Xavier and Trey put up last year. Uh, I think. We were kind of beaten down a little bit. I don't know if you watched the backyard brawl the other night, but uh, you know West yep. Virginia just wore them down um, with size. Terrell Brown, I thought, looked, uh, to put it bluntly, pretty soft against that front line. Which, when you're talking about you know Sheboy and Culver, everybody's going to look a little soft compared to those guys. So I just yeah. you know at the moment, I, I think that the ACC looks like a six bid team. Is that is that accurate? Are you thinking more? Um, I would only, uh, I would go with six, but I think there are only five legitimate locks, uh, considering the way NC State has struggled this year. They've mm-hmm. been, uh, through the first two weeks, one of the bigger disappointments for me 
as well. Because I was I was expecting them to take a big step forward this year, and if anything, they've taken maybe a slight step back to this point. Yeah, I, I think. Um... C.J. Bryce has been a shot-making machine so far this season. Um, maybe one of the best players in the ACC. They finally got Derek Funderburk, or D.J. Funderburk back this this weekend. Uh, I think maybe the most shocking thing for me, something that I didn't anticipate, was Kevin Keats actually played Funderburk and Manny Bates together in some points at their in their most recent game. So he's got Bates at the center, Funderburk at, at the, the big forward, and then Bryce, Daniels, and, and Markel Johnson, which... That's a heck of a lineup. NC State should be, you know, blowing teams away with that lineup. Yeah, and having getting Funderburg back obviously is going to make a big difference for them. And I, I still have hope about what they can be uh, in a couple of weeks down the road here. But through the first two weeks, they look very much like the team I missed in tournament last year, and that concerns me a little bit. It, it looks to me almost like. Uh, most of the little undisciplined is that kind of the feeling you get as well yeah and there's there's i i don't want to i hate to say that because there's always a little bit of that just sort of wild helter skelter sure. about the way that about the way they play but it seems sloppy yep. and early in the season that that's going to happen again i hate, hate to harp on that but it, it's it's true so I, I wonder how much of that will get cleaned up as the season goes on but it, it's certainly a concern um, Virginia Tech, uh, currently 4-0, and I think the thing that sticks out to me the most is on Ken Palm right now, Virginia Tech is projected to go 10-10 and in the ACC this year. Landers Nolly, 23 points, 6 rebounds a game through 4 games. Now, they haven't exactly played anybody of consequence, but are they set to exceed expectations that we had coming into the season, or once the schedule ramps up, you kind of expect everything to even out? Well, they're going to exceed expectations because I think expectations were like two ACC wins. Right. And they're already halfway there with that win over Clemson they had in the opener, which <laughs> that's, a whole, that's, a, that's a whole other bag of uh, issues that Brad McNeil going to deal with down there. But I, I think Nolly has given them a legitimate star. I think Mike Young hasn't wasted any time uh, getting the most out of his group, which is mm-hmm. something he did at Wofford on an annual basis. The bottom of the ACC is weak, mm-hmm. so I could see Virginia Tech winning uh, five or six games simply on the back uh, of Nolly and then some plays that Young draws up late. Uh, I think Wake Forest uh, is even worse than we anticipated. Clemson's worse than we anticipated. We still have questions about Boston College's long-term viability. Um, Derek Thornton isn't necessarily somebody who... Um, yeah, it doesn't really move the needle for me. Yeah, he, he's not somebody who establishes confidence in you. But so I, I, there's a realistic possibility that Virginia Tech could finish 12th, maybe even 11th, if Syracuse continues to struggle offensively. I'm I'm very down on Syracuse. Me too. Uh, I I think that performance against Virginia was more of an indication of how bad they were offensively, um, more so than how good Virginia was defensively. Even though Virginia is great defensively, um, uh, there's a legitimate chance that Virginia Tech finishes 12th or 11th in the ACC, which for them and what was expected this year uh, would be a, a huge success and I think create a lot of momentum for the rest of Mike Young's tenure there. Uh, yeah, I agree. I just I, I said coming into the season, I thought Young was going to use, you know, Nolly in the same kind of fashion that he used McGee at Wofford. 
and you know Nolly has a higher upside than I think Fletcher did. And that's that's kind of what it is. I mean, he's getting 19, 22 shots a game. Everybody else is getting seven or eight. They've also, you know, they're 321st in the country through four games as far as adjusted tempo goes. So, you know, they're still doing some of the stuff that Buzz Williams had success with, uh, slowing the game down, being efficient on offense. Again, they haven't really played anybody, but you can only beat the teams that are put in front of you. And right now they look really good, and he looks, you know, like a newcomer of the year, maybe second, third team All-ACC player. Oh, for sure. And keep in mind, we expected Virginia Tech to lose to nobodies right. before the season started. Yep. So the fact they haven't is a positive thing. Uh, we didn't really get to you know the the, the back half. Back. I think Georgia Tech has potential here. Um, you alluded mm-hmm. to some some Boston College stuff, but out of that group of, of G Tech, um, you mentioned Syracuse, who you're down on. I'm very down on them as well. You know, Georgia Tech, Miami, Clemson, Boston College it is. Are these all NIT teams for you, or do you think any of them can step up and get into that top half of the league? No, oh, I I think that Clemson's not even an NIT team. No, me neither. I've been very negatively surprised at, at how poor they've been. I was expecting with Kayvon Moore getting his waiver, being eligible, uh, playing alongside to the knock on the wing there, that they would at least be viable. Uh, I know they have a lot of questions about their depth, considering how many pieces they lost last year. Um, and I, I like Brownell as an X's and O's coach, mm-hmm. but uh, that loss to um, to Virginia Tech in particular uh, raised my eyebrows in terms of maybe Brownell just being his last year at Clemson because it, it's been uh, a very uninspiring decade under him, yes. and uh, he, he was he was going to get the axe before they had that three sixteen run. Um, got a small extension, uh, but missing the tournament last year and then the early returns this year indicate that that was more of a one-time thing as opposed to a real program turnaround. Uh, I think that's a, a program and a job you really have to watch this year because things could start spiraling out of control there. Uh, Georgia Tech, obviously, uh, stupid postseason ban, but I think they're good enough to make the NIT. I, I could see them finishing in that, that same kind of range talked about with Notre Dame and, and Pitt in that kind of 7-8-9 range. Um, Syracuse, I, I don't think... They may make the NIT based off brand name alone, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think they get there. I, I just don't see that offense being good enough. When Buddy Beheim and Dolzhai are your number two and number three options, in whichever order you want to put them, that's not a good sign. <laughs> One one guy that has pleasantly surprised me um, that we haven't mentioned yet, I don't believe, is is Jay Heath, the freshman at Boston College. Uh, I didn't obviously didn't get to see him play in high school or prep, but I think early on he's looked like he belongs, and I think it's just another example of of Jim Christian finding these gems in the Mid Atlantic region and bringing them to Chestnut Hill and and making players out of them. Have you have you had the opportunity to watch him at all? Not a ton, and he, he's a good player, but the only problem is. Uh, there's not a lot of depth with this Boston College team. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that they're going to be anything good. I just think that he's yeah. another one of those guys that Christian seems to find. Yeah, and I, I think it would have been a lot of fun to see him and and Winston Tabs play this year. Uh, Tabs obviously after the season with that injury, which I which was really disappointing because um, I was looking forward to see his progression. That's another guy who who Christian kind of found, but he, he that's been one of the best parts of his tenure at mm-hmm. Boston College has been finding those kind of guys. Um, the problem 
is, and the reason why he might be on his way out as well as Brownell, uh, is that that hasn't translated into much on-court success in terms of wins. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that he's going to end up probably returning to the mid-major ranks and having you know some starting backcourt that we're that we're talking about that you know that Connor's going to talk about in uh, in your preseason that is going to be just some crazy scoring duo. I think that's kind of where he belongs. Um, saving the worst for last, Wake Forest, two and one on the season. Uh, really struggled with Columbia at home. It took a double bouncing turnaround jump shot from the foul line from Brandon Childress to actually get the W in that game. Um, they did make a pretty easy game out of UNC Asheville, but it's going to be a really bad year for the Deacons this year. Uh, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> d- despite the buyout, which I still I have no idea why they gave Danny Manning that contract after a first four berth yeah. with John Collins, and then it was right after the zero three start where all three losses were to like really bad mid majors. Like I think, if I remember correctly, the extension came the night after they got blown out by Drake or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it was something like that. Like it was it was the most appalling decision, and it, it bit them in the butt and. Uh, they sh- probably should have fired him last year, and I'm, I'm sure there's a large number of Wake Forest fans who at this point were just wishing that somebody had ponied up enough money for that buyout so they could have Wes Miller as the coach this year and be moving forward. Um, uh, it's They're going to be lucky to get 10 wins this year. I think I just don't see the talent or, or the cohesion, the level of execution on that team uh, because – it's going to be kind of that long year and a dead man walking situation for Manning. They're going to, I think I, they're going to have to pony up that money this year and, and buy him out. And it's just West Miller has been the guy, UNC Greenfield's coach that they've targeted and have been linked to uh, for the past couple of years now. And I think to the point where I don't know how much longer Miller's going to be available. Yeah. For that. Yeah. I agree. So there's going to be a move that, that needs to be made now. And I think, you know, if they don't get the 10 wins, it's going to be impossible for them to rationalize it with however many millions of dollars. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and they have Charlotte next, which is not going to be an easy game for them because it's, it's in Charlotte. Um, then you get Charlotte da- just be Davidson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they, they have Davidson after that. They follow that up with Charleston on a neutral court, which uh, Grant Riller, one of the best scorers in the country. And after yeah. that... I don't see a winnable game on their entire schedule with the exception of North Carolina A&T. Um, this could very well be a three- or four-win season for the Demon Deacons. It's going to make uh, – it's going to be reminiscent, I think, of the Kevin Stallings era at Pitt. Ooh, that's, that is unacceptable in, in Winston-Salem, you got to believe. So if, if that happens, do you – do you think they pony up? Are they still, or, or is your, if you were going to make a wager on it, would you say that they get rid of him this year, or they wait another season for that that uh, buyout to decrease? They're going to have to. Uh, if you win separate games as a Wake Forest program, uh, as proud as that program still is, there's no way you can pitch to the fan base that he's your guy. That's what we've seen from him the past five, six years, and the direction that it's gone. Everybody knows that he was only brought back because of that buyout, no matter what they said mm-hmm. about Manny Coach and, you know, Mulder, leader of young men, blah, 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 blah. 
you know, whatever they had to say, nobody buys that. And a year like they're projected to have, um, it, it's going to be impossible for them to not rationalize paying him that money. So, I, I mean, $18 million was was the number that we heard. I, I guess if it, I mean, if it devolves, I'm expecting $14 million, I think, would be right around there. Is that something that you would expect as well? Just call Chris Paul. He's making what forty million dollars this year playing for the for the Thunder. Yeah, he's not going to do anything. He actually just you. made he just made a, a commitment to Wake Forest for three million within the past three or four years as well. So um, it's funny that you brought that. I think I brought that up uh, a couple episodes ago. But yeah, that's where I would go. But he it just made a big announcement. Yeah, I mean maybe you go to Tim Duncan this time. I don't know, but it, it needs to happen. Um, Bill, Bill I, it's going to be bad enough that they find a way. Uh, to pay at that 14, whatever it ends up being. Uh, I think we're on a $14 million range as well. Um, they're going to find a way to, to pay him that money and move on and, and get Wes Miller. I, I think that's the best course of action. Um, it'll be, it's always interesting to see some of the coaching decisions in this conference. Absolutely. Um, Brian, I appreciate you taking the time. Was there anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? No, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be a weird year for the ACC, I think. Um, I wouldn't be surprised as I mentioned if there's only five or six teams that get in uh, and the rest aren't necessarily close. But we're going to see a lot of the top because I think I think Duke, Virginia, or excuse, yeah, Duke, UNC, and um, and Louisville, excuse me, are going to be among the top ten teams all season long. Uh, there's going to be a, a wide variance in the league, but kind of like we've seen already, there's going to be a good deal of upset. So it's going to be a lot of fun given. Uh, I think the amount of parity in the league, despite there being uh, those kind of big tiers. Yeah, um, you know, I, I said it on another show this past week that you know three ACC teams in the top five is not indicative of the strength of the conference. I think it's far no. it's far softer than you know after you get past those three teams, those teams being Duke, Louisville, and in uh, North Carolina, it gets pretty soft pretty fast, and it wouldn't shock me to see. I mean, we set in the preview episode. We set ACC teams in the Sweet 16 at one and a half, two and a half, and I took the under. Um, I just, I, I don't be, I don't see it being a strong year overall for the league. No, I, I think we're looking at Duke, UNC, Louisville being in that 16 plus conference win range mm-hmm. with the 20, 20 game schedule. And I think looking at um, Virginia, I think maybe even Florida State and, and NCC you could put them there, but being those teams being around um, maybe 13, 14, and then everybody else having between five and seven. Like I don't think there's going to be anybody, with the exception of maybe Clemson and, and Wake Forest, being down there around zero, one, two wins. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of teams that are kind of in that really awful seven to. Was seven to thirteen range in the conference? Yep. That's somewhat interchangeable. All right, man. I'm going to let you go. Uh, go ahead and let people know uh, where they can find your work and uh, and what you're up to. Yeah, you can find me on bustingbrackets.com. Got articles. Great team over there. We got articles posted about pretty much everything you could imagine. Um, at, and you can find me on Twitter at, at bralph33. It's b r a u f thirty three. All right, man, I, take, I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Have a great Sunday. Appreciate it. You too. Thanks, Brian.